Welcome to the podcast of Church on the Rock in New Albany, Indiana. We believe the message you're about to hear will encourage you today. We're going to read in the message translation. Now, this is about the early church, the first day of the church. This is what happened. That day, about 3,000 took him at his word. Do you know the early church was a mega church? We act like the early church was just some small little thing. It started with 120, but it literally within a day added 3,000 members. So you need to realize, church family, this is the smallest this church is ever going to be. Can I get an amen? And notice, it jumped from 120 to 3,000. Took him at his word, were baptized, and were signed up. They committed themselves to the teachings of the apostles, the life together, the common meal, and the prayers. Next verse. Everyone around was in awe and all those wonders and signs done through the apostles. And all the believers lived in wonderful harmony, holding everything in common. And they sold whatever they owned and pulled their resources that each person's need was met. Come on, this is really doing life together. And they followed a daily discipline of worship in the temple, followed by meals at home. Every meal a celebration, exuberant and joyful as they praise God. And notice what happened because of that. People in general like what they saw. Every day their number grew as God added those who were saved. Isn't that good this morning? So today, if you're taking notes, I want to talk about life together. Life together. Now we've been talking about changing your world on Sundays, and we're going to still continue talking about changing your world, but we're going to talk about it a little bit differently today. We're going to talk about life together. Who we do life with affects how we change the world. We can't change the world by ourselves. We change it with others. And only changed people change the world. You need to understand one of the main ways God changes you is through other people. One of the main ways that God grows you and changes you and molds you and renews you and helps you and strengthens you is through other people. So if we live life separated and isolated from everybody else that could help us, we will never change ourselves. And if we're not changed, we can't change anybody else. If we're not changed, we can't change the world around us. But God uses people to grow us and change us. So important. And that only happens when we do life together as a church. Now, I love the United States of America, but a lot of things we think are American aren't Christian. And a lot of things that are Christian aren't American. Yeah, you felt that. You felt that patriotism push back on me when I said that. I love this country. It's the greatest country on the planet. But sometimes we get our Christianity and our Americanism mixed up together like they're the same thing. But a lot of things in the Bible and the believers live like are opposite from Western American Christians. I'll give you one example, and this is an example I want to talk about today. 
Americans are known and Westerners for being individualistic. We are known for that. That's why we separated for England and said, forget you, queen, and dump the tea in Boston Harbor, right? We'll do what we want to do. America started with, we will do whatever we want to do. We don't need you, England. We started with this rebellion and individualistic attitude like I can do it by myself. It was started that way. If you can't help me there, then we can't go to where we need to go. <laughs> there's, there, there, there's nothing wrong with the way it started, but I'm saying we started that way. And so America is based in the individual. That's why we live in a society where everyone, it's like every man for himself. Compared to other parts of the world. Now, that's also the reason why America is the most prosperous country on the planet is because we talk a lot about personal responsibility in this country. Now, that's good. That's good. But the attitude of being an individualistic type person and I don't need anybody else and it's about me and not the group is not biblical. Personal responsibility is biblical. But this idea that it's about me in mine, in my house, and what I do, and it's my time, and it's my life, and it's my money, that's an American thing. That's not a Christian thing. And us in the Western world live that way, and we think it's right, but it's not right because the Bible always talks about no, it's about the community, it's about the group, it's about the family. It's not about the one, it's about many. Now, still in most of the Eastern world, they live this way. They live, and it's about the tribe, it's about the group, it's about the community. Now, think about this if we are so intelligent as Americans, and we know so much better than these third world countries then why are Americans more stressed than they are? More overworked than they are. They're unhealthy. They're more lonely. And yet we think we're right and they're wrong. A lot of that's attached to they realize that life is meant to be lived in the community, in the group, in the family. It's not meant to be lived alone. And these habits are hurting us as Western-thinking Americans because it's even proven those who live in community and do life with other people live longer than those who do not. They are healthier than those who do not. They are happier than those who do not. That is the reason for such of the mental health crisis we have in this country. Here's some recent stats on loneliness in America. 61% said they felt lonely. 61%. This is Americans. 21% said they had no close friends. 58% said no one really knows me well. Loneliness 
doesn't just affect your mental health, but it affects your physical health. And they say that loneliness has the same effects on your body as obesity and 15 cigarettes a day when you're lonely. And by the stats, over half of this country feels lonely. Now, why? Because we're all about me. The individual. I can do it. I don't need nobody. I, I can just handle it myself. Apparently, you can't. Because <laughs> you're not happy, and you're sick, and you're tired, and you're stressed. You've been proved wrong. You can't do it by yourself. Well, I wonder who said you couldn't do it by yourself. God did. Shocker. And once again, for the millionth time, God's right again. I know. It's wild to think about. It's been in your Bible all along, and God is right again. And then we have to have stats from doctors and psychologists that say, yeah, he's right again. It always proves out, doesn't it? Because God's ways are right, and God's ways work. And God says, you need community. You need life together. You need other people. You got to have it. And it's proven when you do live in community, you live longer, happier, healthier lives. Now, these are stats from non-Christian people. But they're proving God's words right again. Here's some things that God said about that. Genesis 2, I'm just going to quote it. In the beginning, God said, it's not good that man's alone. It's not good that man's alone. Now, he wasn't alone. God was there. But God said, it's not good that you're alone, meaning... I know me and you got something good going on, Adam, but you need other human beings just like you. And, of course, after that, you know, he created Eve, and then eventually, you know, this planet was filled with people, and he said, it's not good that you're alone. Proverbs says that a man who isolates himself is not wise and seeks his own desires. I love it. Ecclesiastes says it like this. It says, if one falls and has a friend... They will reach out and help them. But if someone falls who is alone, he's in real trouble. We need other people. Those of you in here who fight against community, you need it more than everybody else does. You do. And I'm going to say that as your pastor the rest of your life. Because you do. I know that for a fact. I've seen it in my own life. Those of us who resist community, and we're going to get into the real root of why you do resist other people in your life. You need it more than anyone else because that could change your life. We say God changes my life. Yeah, he does, and he does it through other people. But if you won't let other people in your life, he can't change things in your life. If you don't let other people in your life, not just a pastor, but other believers in your life, and you open up and get real with them, and you do life together, there's certain things that will never change and never grow to get into community. And notice in Acts 2, and we read at the beginning, these early believers did life together. Once again, this is a Western American thing. 
what do we do? We think being a part of church is showing up for two hours on a Sunday morning. Did you read that verse about the early church? It said nothing about two hours on a Sunday morning. That's an American Western thing. You think you're a part of church because you showed up two hours of your entire week. That's like this amount of time in your entire week. The early church, it says that when these 3,000 believers got together, the reason that they were so healthy and strong and so vibrant, the, the reason that they saw revival and miracles happen, the reason that, that God added to the church daily is not because they came and gave God a sympathy show up on a Sunday morning for two hours to cleanse their conscience so they f- didn't feel bad about their life, so I'll, sh- I'll give God two hours on a Sunday morning. You know, it's not, ain't no big deal. I ain't going to be doing nothing else. Game doesn't come on to noon anyways. I can't get into Golden Corral till 12. So might as well go to church. But these early believers, it said that they listened to the apostles' teaching, that spiritual leaders. It said that they prayed together. It said that they ate together. They did life together. It said that when anyone had a need in that local church, nobody said, well, that's not my responsibility. They said, no, you're a part of this community. I'm not just going to live as an individual. It's about the group success. It's about the community success. It's about church's success. So it says if someone else had a need in that community, they said, I'm going to sell what I have and give it to them because there's not going to be anybody in this church that's going to have a need that's not met. That's real church. That's real community, not two hours on a Sunday. This is the starting place. Said they ate together, they took communion together, they prayed together, they were in the temple, that's the church, and then they went to house to house. That is real church community. Now, what does all that describe? A life together. Not a life separate, a life together. But God has an answer for your loneliness. You want to know what it is? All right, three people did. Let me try that one more time. God has an answer for your loneliness. You're so lonely, you can't even say amen right now. I don't know. I guess, yes. Okay. Psalm 68. Let's turn there. Psalm 68. Psalm 68, 6. What does God do? God places the lonely in families. This is God's answer to loneliness in the world. God, notice what he does. He places or sets the lonely in families. Now, I believe this strongly. God's not just talking about a natural, physical family. He's talking about a spiritual family. And it's amazing because in your Bible, the church of Jesus Christ is described and it's articulated in your Bible that the church of Jesus is the family of God on the earth. God is our father and this is a family. And some of the family members are down here. And some of the family members are in heaven. But this is a big family. That's the way God describes it as. And notice God's answer for your loneliness is he sets you in a family. Not just a natural family. That's great if you got a natural family. That's awesome. A lot of you don't. But that's okay. God sets the lonely in a spiritual family. 
He places the lonely in a spiritual family so they don't have to be lonely anymore. And that family is the family of God. And it's on heaven and it's on the earth. And God is our Father. And I love the Bible says it even describes the relationship to each other in the Bible as family members. It says you want to treat the young men like brothers. And the young women like sisters and the older women like mothers and the older men like fathers. That's a family. I love the family, God, because there's room for everybody in the family. Everyone in the family. Doesn't matter where you came from. Doesn't matter your background. Doesn't matter your past sins. Doesn't matter your race. Doesn't matter the way you vote. Doesn't matter any of those things. It matters that you're just under the blood of Jesus. And when you accept him, you're in the family. And that is God's answer to loneliness is God puts you in a family. Here's, here's the issue, though. Well, if God places you in the family, you got to still show up. People can't know you if you don't show up to the family get-togethers. If you don't come to the dinner table, you can't get to know the family. If you don't come to the family functions, no one will ever know you, and you won't know anyone else. So it's not enough that God places us in a family. we got to show up for the family if we want to be a part of the family. And in my opinion, in my life, a lot of the people that have said they're lonely in this church is because they choose to be lonely. Not because it's not available. Not because there's not things in place for them to get involved in. It's because they choose to not show up for the family. Dinner served at 6 o'clock. If you don't show up, you ain't eating with the family. Hey, we're going to have a family get-together next Sunday. If you don't show up, you're missing out. It's not anyone else's fault. It's quiet in this Methodist under the gospel Presbyterian church. Isn't that the truth? God places the lonely in families, but you have a will. you got to show up for the family if you want to be a part and involved. And you can be as involved or as disconnected as you want to be, but don't blame the church for not filling that need in your life when you're lonely. If you don't show up, will you make things available? That's one of the main reasons we started Life Group, because me as a pastor didn't want any person in this church to feel left out, to feel like, well, I'm not a part of the in crowd. There is no in crowd. You can get in whenever you want to. Show up. You're in. You got picked. You're in. That's why we made life groups. So it's not about just a few people. It's anyone who wants to be involved and have friendships can find them. And in the future, guess what? We'll have more life groups and more people. And then we'll have more life groups and more people. Because we never want anyone to feel left out. We want everyone to at least have an opening or an opportunity that they can meet other people and get involved in other people's lives and stop being lonely. You still here today? I've heard this said many times recently to me. Many people struggling with certain things, and they've said, I don't know how I would get through this without my church family. 
Many times recently, there's been several people in here dealing with physical issues, financial issues, mental health issues, and they're saying, I don't know how I would do this without my church family. Well, that's the reason God gave you it. So you wouldn't have to do it alone. You wouldn't be by yourself. When you felt weak, someone else could be strong and lift you up. When you felt discouraged, someone else could come in and encourage you. When you couldn't cook that meal, someone else brought a meal to your house. When you didn't feel like you could pray, somebody else could pray for you. That's why you got a church family. I don't want to know what it would feel like without one. Because God places the lonely in family so we don't have to be lonely anymore. Everyone in here, your greatest desire, whether it's said or unsaid, is to know God and to be known by others. If that's our greatest desire, why don't we do it, a lot of us in here? Well, I want to talk about that some for the rest of the service. If our greatest desire is to know God and to know others and God to really know us and for us to really be known by others, then why are we still lonely? Why don't we do it? The root of that is fear. Why don't we want to be involved with other people if we're lonely? Because a lot of us, if we feel lonely, if we feel disconnected from everyone else, if we feel like it said in those stats about loneliness, no one really knows you, no one really cares about you, 61% of Americans felt lonely all the time. If community is available, if people are available, if life together with other people are available, and that's our greatest desire, why don't we do it? Why don't we show up at stuff? Why don't we sign up for life group when we've had that opportunity the past five years? It's fear. It's fear. I want to talk about that for a second. Why don't we let people in our lives? It's fear. It's fear of what people might think of you if they really knew you. It's fear if they really knew me, they wouldn't like me. It's fear of... Now, notice fear is not from God, by the way. But we all have these fears. Why don't we open up to other people? Why don't we want to be in life groups why don't we want to open ourselves up to other people? Because it's fear if they really knew me, they might not like me. They might not understand me. They might judge me. Or it's fear of if I open myself up to someone, I might get hurt. Because I've been hurt before. And it takes a risk to be vulnerable with other people. But I want to tell you this morning, the risk is worth the reward. The risk is worth the reward. It takes a risk, and you got to put yourself out there and be vulnerable to open your up, yourself up to other people, to church people, to life groups, to community. But the risk is worth the reward. Now, you think it's okay for you to do that, but me as a pastor, it's not okay for me to do that. 
All right now, somebody. Because me as your pastor could say this. I've been hurt by a lot of church people. I'm just not going to pastor anymore. I'm just not going to trust you anymore. I'm not going to love you anymore. Because I've been hurt before. Because I've been misunderstood before. Because I've sown into people's lives before. And they just act like they don't care and they leave. I can't do that. But you can do that. If I did that as your pastor, you would say, you ain't right, pastor. You're not living like Jesus. But yet, you can do that and make excuses for yourself because you've been hurt by church people. And you've been offended by church people. And you've had a bad church experience. Guess what? Join the club. You know why the church hurts you? Because the church is made up of people just like you. We're all human beings who are changing and growing and we're becoming the image of Jesus, but we're definitely not yet. And we're hurt by each other, sometimes not even on purpose because we're all people in process and we're growing and we're changing. So join the club. Do what the Bible says. Be quick to forgive and quick to repent when you missed it and love again and trust again, and open up your life again, we never even understand, well, what's the alternative to that? That's something I like to say a lot. When there's two choices, I'm like, but what's the alternative to this? If you don't open your life up, this is the options you have. To live lonely and a life full of regrets. Does anyone want that? Say amen in the house of God. (laughs) No, you don't. But yet our actions say that's the life we're going to have. If we keep pushing community away, life groups away, people away, the family of God away, like we don't need them and we do need them because we've been hurt. Or we're afraid someone's going to judge us or we're afraid that you're going to be misunderstood or you're afraid that if someone really knows me, they're not going to like me. We all have that insecurity. Do you guys not realize when people leave this church, don't you think that would make me feel insecure? It's my church. So that's directly at me. Makes me feel like they don't think I'm a good pastor or I'm not a good preacher or they don't like what's going on here. Do you think I feel that way? (laughs) Too honest on a Sunday? What I got to do. It's not about that. It's not about that. You got to let it go. Got to forgive people. Sometimes it's not even about you, anyways. Actually, people that leave our church compliment me and talk bad about you. So, I mean, it's all good. <laughs> I'm not even joking on that completely. <laughs> There's like, Pastor, we love you. It's just your church people we got an issue with. I was like, I know, I do too. It's all right. <laughs> I'm sorry for them. But I love you too. So, <laughs> church is made up of people. Now, this is something interesting too. Are you guys still here? Are you liking this therapy session we're having this morning? Okay. I'm glad I'm getting this off my chest. I'm going to sleep a lot better tonight. Um, so, 
Now, I believe this about the church. You know, no church is perfect. No church is the church because we all have our part in the global church. But do you realize, whether it's this church or another church, once you get there, when the grass is greener on the other side, you think. When you show up, there's going to be the same issues that are here because there's people there. Right? Just like you. Just like me. Yet they're thinking in their head, I just need to change the scenery and I want a new church. But when you get there, it's more the same. It is. Because it's full of people. And this is what I'm trying to say today with all of you in here. Stop thinking that eventually you're going to find the right group of people in the right church. Because if nothing has satisfied you so far, you might be the issue. (laughs) Hello, somebody. And think about this because some people have said this before. I don't want to sign up for life groups because I don't like any of those groups. And I don't like any of the people in the group. Well, if you don't like any of the people in the group, in our entire church, they might not be the issue. I'm I'm just saying today. Maybe you need to be honest with yourself and look at yourself in the mirror and say, I might be the issue if I can't get along with anybody in this community or this group of people in this church. Maybe it's not their fault. Maybe I need to look at myself. Just a thought. I'm not saying it's true. I'm just saying pray about it. Think about it. It's true. It is true. But once again, why do we do that? We do that out of fear of being misunderstood, fear of what other people might think of me, or fear if I really get in community, I'm going to be challenged. I might have to change. I might have to grow. Someone might call me out in a loving way about my sin in my life, and I don't want somebody to do that. But that's what we need. Let me read to you a couple quotes. This is by a pastor in Portland, Pastor John Mark Comer. He says, stay with your church, especially with your closest siblings in the family of God. Live in a thick web of interdependent relationships. Quietly defy the individualism that is wreaking havoc across the West. Surrender your autonomy to love. Place yourself in the constant restraint of community. For it is there that we are set free. Give up your preferences for the sake of others. Enroll in the school of agape. When you fail a course, throw yourself upon the mercy of God. Come back to the table. Eat the bread. Ingest the forgiving love of God. Repent, repent, and again, repent. Listen to this. Risk vulnerability. We will get hurt, and we will hurt in return. That's part of facing grace. But our greatest wounds come from relationships, but so does our greatest and deepest healing. The risk is worth it. 
the risk is worth it. But you know, when I've thought about this before, our greatest fears about if I really get in a relationship with people and I tell them who I really am, that you're thinking that you're going to be judged or people don't like you or whatever the insecurities you have about that. It's fear. I found out majority of time those thoughts are completely untrue. They are. And once again, why do you have them? There is an enemy who puts fear to keep you away from the thing that can really help you. And I love this. C.S. Lewis said this. Friendship is born at the time when one person says to another, you too, I thought I was the only one. And in my life, I've found out that a lot of times when I've opened up to people, I've been vulnerable to people, I've had relationships with people, I've found out a lot of times when I open up, the conversation goes not, I'm judging you, I can't believe you, I don't understand you. It's like, oh yeah, I've thought that too. I've experienced that too. I've had that struggle too. And that's when friendship is really born. When one person says to another, you too? I thought I was the only one. But what does that go back to? The enemy wants to keep you in fear thinking that your response is going to be you're going to be kicked out of church or you're going to be judged or no one's going to understand you, no one's going to like you. And majority of times in my life and in this house, the conversations went like, you too? Let's talk about this. Let's pray about this. Let's encourage each other about this. Let me tell you how I overcame this so you can overcome this. Let me tell you about the scripture that helped me. Maybe this scripture will help you. And that's how you grow. And that's how you change. And that's the kind of community that this house is going to be. This place, the family of God, because we're going to have people that are open up and they're vulnerable with one another and not from a position of superiority but yeah I've been there too I've had this conversations with many many people because you got to understand the enemy loves to trick you into thinking that you're the only one who feels this way and you're not you're the only one who's ever felt that pain You're the only one who's ever had that disease. You're the only one who's had that anxiety. You're the only one who's had that sexual thought. You're the only one who's dealt with this. And you're not at all. But the enemy wants to isolate you so much. Notice, if he keeps you by yourself, you'll keep thinking it's just you. But when you get into community, you realize, oh, no, we're all in this together. We all need help. We all need each other. We've all thought this way. We're all changing. We're all growing. And we can't do it by ourselves, but we can do it together. I might not be able to overcome this by myself, but I can do it with you. I might not be able to handle this by myself, but I can handle it in the group. I can handle it with other people in my life speaking to me, praying for me, strengthening me. And that's the life that God has designed us to live. It's with each other. And we need each other. But if the enemy can keep you isolated, he'll make you feel like you're the weird one here. 
You're not normal. You're thinking strange. You are different. No one's going to like you. It's not true. We're all just a bunch of weirdos in here. We're all in this together. I say that in the most affectionate way possible. We're actually not weird at all. We're all in this together. But friendship is born at the time someone looks to the other person and says, you too, I thought I was the only one. I wish he was here to hear this, but my good friend Char Lessie, you guys have no idea who this person is, Micah Stumler, I hate to say his birth name. His spiritual name is Charlesi. But I've had a lot of conversations with a lot of young men in my life. And every one of them, you could see the fear and intimidation in their eyes. They felt like they were alone. And as soon as they started talking, and they talked to me about their life, the whole time I'm like smiling at them. They're just like, why are you, why are you smirking at me? Are you about to hand me over to Satan for the destruction of my flesh or what's going on here? <sighs> yes, that's what I was about to ready to do. God, are you hearing this? He's going to hell. We're going to have to let him go, guys. But I'm smiling at them because I'm thinking, man, I've had that same thought. I've had that same struggle. I've had that same doubt. I've had that same question you're having. And in your mind, you're thinking, oh, it's just me. I'm losing it. I'm losing my faith. I'm losing my mind. I'm losing this. No, you're not. You're a human being. But a long time ago, this was when he was in high school. It was one of those times he said, we need to talk. Okay? So I know how to talk to people. We went through chillers first. Right? Come on now, somebody. You guys are acting like you like health food right now. Ice cream. We went to Chiller's first. I didn't give him like a tofu pancake. Come on. If we're going to open up, let's get some Haagen-Dazs and talk. You ain't talking with a kale chip in your mouth. Come on now, somebody. Let's get a little bit of ice cream in you and lighten the mood a little bit here, folks. So, so Charles and I went to go get ice cream and and, you know, I like to be out. I, I'm a hiker. I like to be out away from, you know, the downtown metropolis of Sellersburg and Charlestown. <laughs> I like to be out. And so we went to Deem Lake. So in case I needed to hide a body, we could just handle that. <laughs> so Charles and I drove there. We had ice cream. He was in high school. And he started to talk to me and Man, we talked about everything. We talked about girls. We talked about the Bible. We talked about what we believe. We talked about the future. We talked about everything you could think about. We talked for like three hours. But in that conversation, he said so many things in fear and trembling, thinking I was going to say, dude, what's the matter with you? You need deliverance. Everything he said, I was like, yep, thought that. Yep, did that. Yep, same thing with me. And I could see in his eyes the anxiety leaving, the loneliness leaving, the pain leaving, the feeling of I'm alone and I'm weird and I just don't fit in at church. It all left him. It was like a three-hour-long conversation. But it was because I said, yeah, me too. Yeah. And I helped him that day, and he's been the 
different ever since that day. That was a decade ago. And he's one of the best leaders. Him and Leslie are some of the best leaders in this church. They do an awesome job with the Corey and everything else. And they, they have young people at their house all the time doing what I did with him. But just that one conversation. But notice friendship is birthed that day. Now, me and him were friends before then, but we became best friends. And he's one of my best friends to this day because of that conversation. You guys want to know a story about me and someone else? Some of you are like, no, I'm ready to go sign up for life groups. Shut it down. It's helping me. This is therapeutic for me. So I love Pastor Dennis. Pastor Dennis is a very close friend to our family, and uh, he's, uh, he's a special person. And I'm probably the closest to Pastor Dennis out of any of the pastors. And we have a very special relationship. And I've told Pastor Dennis stuff I don't tell even Dad. I don't tell Dad he ain't here, but, you know, <laughs> my parents know that. Because I trust him. But you're thinking, someone like Dr. Hattaball, he is the epitome of excellence, spirit, soul, and body, right? He eats right, he prays right, he talks right, he thinks right, great marriage. I mean, Awesome church. What else could you want for the guy? The guy seems perfect on the outside. But he'll tell you himself he's not. He grew up in the projects. He grew up not thinking right. He grew up and had situations in his life that were tough. He's not always been this way. But I love this about Pastor Dennis. Every time I've talked to him about anything, I even talked to him recently about a lot of things, about church, about being a pastor, about being a dad, about living my life as a young man, 34 years old, what to do. And I just shared everything. And you guys need to share everything, not with everybody, but with somebody. Now, life groups are not set up for those settings for you to share all your dirty laundry with 15 people. I'm not saying that. But I am saying you need to be vulnerable with somebody. Somebody you trust. Someone that can help you. Not someone who's in the sinking sand with you. If we're going down, let's go down together. Come on now, somebody. <laughs> no, that's not what you need. You need somebody out of the sinking sand with a rope trying to pull you up that can talk to you. Okay? But talking to Pastor Dennis, I mean, I threw out everything you could think of to him. And everything that I said, Pastor Dennis said, yeah. I've thought that. Yeah, I struggled with that. Yeah, I've dealt with that. Yeah, I, I've not understood that either. I've had a question about that too. I felt that way. Everything I said, and it wasn't like he was just saying it to say it. It was because it was genuine. In that conversation and many others, you know what I felt in that conversation? I didn't feel alone anymore. I didn't feel by myself anymore. I didn't feel like I'm the weird one here. I didn't feel like I'm isolated. But notice, if you never get vulnerable with anybody, the enemy will keep you isolated that you are odd. And you don't fit in. And no one likes you. And no one understands you. But actually, there is a lot of people that do. But it's a risk to be vulnerable. How I many know you don't know what somebody's going to say when you say what you really need to say? But I'm saying the right people will handle it and say, yeah, 
I've been there. But I love this thing about our church and our life groups, especially the life group leaders I've chosen. They're not going to leave you there. Doesn't help you to just say, yeah, me too. Yeah, me too, and this is what God can do in your life. Yeah, me too, and this is a good book I read about this. Yeah, me too, and this is a good scripture to stand on. Yeah, me too, and let's pray together. Yeah, me too, and let's pray deliverance right now. Yeah, me too, and let's get on the other side of this together. So, yeah, I agree with you, and I've been there, and I empathize, and I'm compassionate to your struggle, but let's not stay there. Let's get on the other side of this together. Come on, that's the kind of church I want to be. Because I've seen some churches, they just stay there and, yeah, me too. What's that rest of the conversation? They just get up and say, yeah, me too, we're all struggling. And, yes, but tell us what God's word says about it. Tell us how we overcome. Tell us how we get on the other side of this. Tell us the full story, not just the struggle, but let's talk about the victory. Let's talk about the overcoming. Let's talk about some older seasoned saints in here that have lived their life and seen God do great things. We need your stories. We need your input. We need your victories to say, yeah, I've been there too, but this is how you get over this. This is how you raise your kids. This is how you fix this in your marriage. This is how you beat this sickness. This is how you do this. That's the kind of church this is going to be. Not with, I've never experienced any of that. No, you have. You lying. It doesn't help nobody. You're still here. But it takes Vulnerability. But when we do, we're not alone anymore. This is the last part I want to end with. I love the beauty of the church is there's diversity. Not just this church, but the church. And the Bible describes the church as many members and many parts. They all look different. They all sound different. They all act different. And that's great. We shouldn't all be the same. Let's read this verse, Proverbs 27 and verse 17. As iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. I love this. As iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. Now we're going to end with this verse and we're going to sign up for life groups today. But I was thinking about doing life together in community in this verse Because the beauty of community and doing life together is iron sharpens iron. Now, we've heard that verse before, but you got to realize that the people you're around are either making you more dull or making you sharper. And a lot of times we like to surround ourselves with people that are dull so we don't have to change, so we don't have to grow. But I love this thing about iron When you sharpen iron, there's friction. So we as the church should not run from friction, run from diversity, run from differences in opinions. We should go to it if we both love God and we both love his word. Those differences actually sharpen us. They don't dull us. But it's more comfortable to hang out with other dull people like you. 
It's uncomfortable to get in community with people that are different than you. And we need diversity. Now, one thing we've seen over the past year in this church is this church is more diverse than I realized. How'd y'all end up here? <laughs> it's because you're pastor. That's how you ended up here. But we've seen that over the past year, and this church is diverse to some level. I want it to be more diverse. But we've seen over the past few years with everything going on in the world, we've seen racial diversity, political diversity, social diversity, financial diversity, all sorts of things that are diverse in this church. And we sometimes can look at, it, at that as a bad thing, but actually it's a good thing. Because if there's no diversity, there's no sharpening. I'm not just talking racially, I'm talking every way. Because the differences actually make us sharper. The differences actually challenge what we think. The differences actually challenge what we believe. And iron sharpens iron. Iron sharpens iron. And those diversities are a good thing. I'll give you an example. In the Bible, look at Jesus' disciples. These guys would not hang out with each other on a normal basis. These guys would not go to the bar together to watch the game. But let's talk about just two. There was one guy named Matthew who was a tax collector who worked for the government, who stole people's money. Matthew, the tax collector. But also there was a disciple named Simon the Zealot. And the zealots in the time and day that Jesus lived were radicals who wanted to overthrow the government. Who were the people on the streets out protesting and throwing things through windows and trying to burn down the government buildings. That was Simon the Zealot. So how could Simon the Zealot and Matthew the tax collector get in Jesus' life group together? Apparently, it was good for him because Jesus chose both of them to be in the same life group with Jesus. And those differences were a good thing because they sharpened each other. Now, let's just be honest. Probably the first couple meetings, it was a lively discussion at Jesus' table. Probably some swords were drawn. But the thing is, Simon the Zealot and Matthew the tax collector, which were both at Jesus' table, we're both in Jesus' life group, came together under Jesus and his teachings, and their differences didn't hurt them and made them stronger and made them sharper and made them better. And that should be the same for us in this church. Don't avoid groups just because you're like, that person's a little different there in their group. Maybe you need what that person has. Well, I don't know if I really agree with them. I don't want to be in the group with them. How petty are you? Maybe you need their differences. Maybe you need to think a little bit differently. Maybe you need to understand a little differently. You're just hanging around the same old dull people. You need somebody who's going to sharpen you. And when you're sharpening, it's uncomfortable because there's friction. Now, I by no means am telling the life group leaders, let's go into a political debate every time we're together. Because actually, I say, let's not do that. But I am saying we can agree to disagree about secondary issues 
Because we can help each other in those areas as long as we're under Jesus and his word. We can agree on that. And that's what we unify around. But those differences are good. You know, when um, I've seen some of these life group pictures and heard about some of these life group settings, I love it. I was just thinking about Brother Les's group. When I was thinking about your group either last semester or the semester before, it was Brother Les, it was Dr., it was Josh Lowry, it was Justin Taylor, I think Bruce was in that group, Amzy was in that group, Joseph was in that group, Ron Fosnight was in that group, Chester was in that group. I'm thinking, you would never see them all out at a bar together. You're thinking, what kind of gang is this? You would never see those guys in a normal setting just with each other. Because that is a racially diverse group, a politically diverse group, a financially diverse group, a socially diverse group. And that's awesome. I'm like, oh my gosh, that is exactly what I wanted when we started life groups was a group like that. Why? Because that's the church. That's the way church should be. That's the way church should live. The groups should look like that. Our churches should look like that. That's the church. You're saying, how could any of those guys ever be in the same group? Because they love Jesus and they love his word and they love each other because of that. And they, they differ on a lot of things. Now, i got to calm my throat down because you got me a little too excited this morning. But I want to finish with this. And he's not there to defend himself, but Brother Ron, you are here to defend yourself. Now, this is, a, this is fully a joke, but I talked about Simon the Zealot and Matthew the tax collector. I was just thinking in my head, you know, Justin Taylor and Ron Fosnight are about <laughs> as far apart <laughs> politically and racially as you could go, and they were in the same group together. That's amazing. And they love each other because they love Jesus and they love his word. You could just fill in the blank who Simon the Zealot is in that category. (laughs) I'm joking with you. But isn't that amazing? And that should be the way it is in all of our groups. There's going to be people that are the complete opposite of us, but we can still love the same Jesus. And we can agree on his word. And these secondary or third issues, that's a different debate. But let's not lose fellowship over that. Let's not lose the main things over that. Because when you think of it the right way, Jesus had those type of people in his group. And what did it do? It sharpened each other. As iron sharpens iron. So a friend sharpens a friend. Differences are good in community. It makes us sharper, not dull. The friction is good if we walk in love with each other because it makes us think differently. It gets us a new perspective. It helps us to change and grow and learn from others that aren't like us. And that's what the church should be. Did you guys get anything today? 
Thank you so much for listening today. For more information about what's happening at Church on the Rock, visit cotrin.org.